the cost of being a disciple is a heavy cost. We can't minimize that. We talked about there are no shortcuts to being a Christian. It is a total 100% commitment to be a follower of Jesus and not just a fan of Jesus. There's a difference between being a follower and a fan. And that's what we talked about last week and how significant the cost is. Um, And now that I understand that there's a cost, I guess the next question comes to my mind is, well, what does it mean to me personally? What does it mean to you personally for me to be a disciple? If it's so expensive, if it's so costly, is it worth it? Is the cost of being a disciple worth it? And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Is, is it worth it? And, and we're going to talk about what it is to be a disciple. And I've listed some, in some things in our handout that becoming a disciple of Christ has many facets in its development. It's not a one-time event. It's a process of growing into. It's a commitment of daily choices. It's a combination of joy and pain, suffering and enduring all the way to the end of life. It's not just going to happen in eternal bliss at one moment. It's a process. It's a recognition of living beyond the here and now and into the hereafter. Discipleship is, is refocusing, taking my mind off what is in front of me, what I see, and putting my mind into what is coming Maybe that I don't see. That's called faith. That's what we are to walk in, faith of what is to come ahead of us. And so it's, it's moving beyond the here and now and into the hereafter. It's a daily dying to self and a living unto Christ. It's basically saying, um, Christ, I'm going to come less. You become more. I have to reduce my focus on me and increase my focus on Jesus. It's removing oneself from the center point of life and placing Jesus there and keeping him at the center point in everything that we do. What's so important about that is that, you know, before my salvation, before a moment of salvation, everything that I did revolved around me. True? Everything is about me. But when I become a Christian, when I became a Christian, when I accepted Jesus in my life as my Savior, my focus had to change. If I truly was a Christian, if I truly accepted Jesus in my heart, I no longer, my life no longer was all about Mike. It had to be refocused on Jesus. Jesus then became the center point of my life and no longer myself. As a disciple, we're to learn that. And everything that we do then revolves around Christ at the center of our life. So those are some of the facets in the development of being a disciple. But I want to talk about three main points today in our purpose of discipleship. And they're listed right there. Number one, to be like Christ. Number two, to grow and learn about the Father. And then number three, to bear fruit for the kingdom to bear fruit for the kingdom. The definition of discipleship that we talked about last week, and it's good for this week as well because definitions don't change week to week. So if, I, if it was the definition last week, it's the definition this week. The, de- the definition of discipleship is this. It's the intentional pursuit of Jesus that produces increasing likeness to him by believing what he said and living like he lived. 
So it's, it's a moving, it's putting Jesus in our life, but we're believing what he said, but then it's more than just believing, isn't it? Then we have to put faith, we have to put action to our faith, and we have to then put action to it, and it's called living daily. It's living like Jesus lived daily. That's what it is to be a disciple. So to be like Christ, what does that mean? Well, becoming a Christ follower is learning how to see life differently than what we see in our natural eyes. It's praying and asking the Holy Spirit to come in and give us a new way to look at life, a new way to look at things. When we can see things, this is really important that we grasp this concept. When we see what God sees, then we can do what God says. When we see what God sees, then I can do what he says. When I can see my life the way God sees my life, not the way that I'm choosing to see my life, not through the filter that I put on to my life, not through my own justifications of what I want to do. No, when I see my life the way God sees my life, then I can begin to understand and do what he says for me to do. Amen? You see that? If I'm doing it, if I'm, if I'm justifying my actions all the time, if I'm presupposing that I'm right, I can do it my way, I can live for Jesus my way, if that's my perspective of life, and then when someone comes and shows me a Bible scripture, or I read the Bible for myself, and I see something that the Word says that's contrary to what I've already justified in my Christianity, I'm not seeing me the way God sees me. I'm seeing the, me the way I see me. Therefore, I have justification in my mind not to believe the Scripture. I have justification then to say, no, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my way because I don't see it that way. But when the Holy Spirit comes in and when the Holy Spirit challenges me and when the Holy Spirit convicts me, and when I receive that conviction from the Holy Spirit and don't receive it as an angry preacher yelling at me or a, a holier-than-thou friend coming to me and telling me of the error of my way, when I receive it the way God is intended for me to receive it and my eyes are opened up by the power of the Holy Spirit that sees the sin and sees the inconsistencies of my life, when I see it the way God sees it, then I can see what God says about it and I have motivation to change. Isn't that interesting? But that's why we have to be so careful that we have to understand the way Christ saw things and the way he moves in things and how important it is for that. So we need to understand that. And, and um, to be a disciple, is, it's not a hard gra a concept to grasp to be a disciple or a follower. But there are some things that we really have to do with it. And like we talked about last week, there are, there, the problem in our society is that there are many, 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 many people that call themselves Christians, that call themselves disciples. And in fact, really all they are is a fan of Christ. All they really are is someone that will give him a, a nod. Yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, me and him, we're, we're tight. Oh, yeah? Well, do you do what he says? Well, no, I'm not do what he says. We're just good friends. That's not a follower of Jesus. That's a fan. And our society is made up of a lot of fans of Jesus, but yet they call themselves Christians. 
I mean, we're Americans. We're a Christian country. Therefore, I'm a Christian. But that's not what the Bible says. If we're going to be a follower of Jesus, then we need to do what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. A follower is an imitator. A fan is something blowing in the wind. <laughs> I mean, it's, such a, it's so interesting how you can you know, get that image of a fan, just a bunch of hot air blowing around. But an imitator, a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ is an imitator of God. And as dearly loved children of God, then we are a child of God, aren't we? Not everybody's a child of God. Understand that. Not everybody that, that breathes is a child of God. They are a creation of God, right? They are loved by God. God loves all people. He's created all things. We read that at the beginning of the service today. He's created everything. But let me ask you, when do we become children of God? When are we dearly loved children? Somebody answer that. When are we a dearly loved child of God? What's that? When we're born again. When we accept God as my father, then he accepts me as a son. It's a cooperative effort, isn't it? He loves us so much. He's offered his son to us. He's paid the price for us. He's done all the hard work of the sacrifice of sin. He did that for us. On the, on the cross. But now I have a responsibility because he is father to some, but not father to all. He's only a father to those that have accepted him as father. And the way you accept him as father is through Jesus Christ. Is through applying the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for my sin and your sin. That's how I become a child of God. That's how I can become a dearly loved child and then I live a life of love, just as Christ loved. Isn't that interesting how Christ is our model? We're to follow Christ. So being like Christ is a daily choice to live a holy life, to be set apart from the things of the world that would pollute us and bring us any form of discontinuity with God the Father. You know, I think it's pretty common that most of us and, and most people, uh, we're looking for the big event. We want the big changer to come in. You know, we like one big event that changes everything, and then all of a sudden life becomes rosy after that, and life becomes easy. But there is no big event in Christianity. Now, the moment of salvation, some would say, that's the big event. And yes, it is a big event. There's no question about it. The moment you accept Christ in your life and you become born again, that's when you become a child of God. But life continues after that. And this is where discipleship is so important. Because it's not just that event. It's living that event. It's living it and making choices daily. It's, it's making those, those biblical choices of life that sometimes are difficult. Sometimes you are put at, to a test. Sometimes you are challenged in that. See, and that's why I believe when we have new converts, it's, it's yes, we, we can celebrate and we should celebrate with them. Do you know why we should celebrate with them? 
Because angels in heaven are celebrating with them. When there is a new name written in heaven, a new name written in the book of life, the angels and everyone celebrates for that one lost one that has come home to be a new member of the family. But, you know, it reminds me of, of a football team or a baseball team or a basketball team. Anybody that has won uh, the first playoff game so it keeps them still in their running to play the next game. You know, if you talk to them, they'll celebrate that game for a few minutes. <laughs> they'll celebrate it in a locker room, but then it doesn't take long. If the coach is good, he'll come back and say, okay, guys, knock it off. Now let's get to work. Now we've got to get prepared for the next game. If I celebrate thinking that winning that first game is it, and I, that I've won the World Series with the first game of the playoffs, that's, that's not true, is it? They have a lot more games to play in the series to win the final game. And, and that's what Christianity is like. Yeah, we, we were saved. We won the first game. We're in the hunt. We're still qualified. But now it comes a daily walking of that. It says, Lord, there's a celebration in heaven. But then the Lord says, okay, I'm, I'm happy. You're my child. Now let's get to work. Come on. We've got work to do. We've got living to do. We've got life to learn. We've got lessons to learn. And you know what? I love you so much, I'm going to discipline you along the way. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that, God. I don't want to be disciplined. I just want to have the good. And like we talked about last week, I will never get the crown until I bear the cross. I will never bear the crown of eternal life until I bear the cross of living for Jesus on this life. Oh, I don't want that. We struggle with that, don't we? I know we do. I do. So I'm assuming you do too, unless you're more spiritual than I am, which you may be. <laughs> but it, it's so important that we understand the concept that there's so, mo so much more to get in life. I like what Proverbs says, the writer of Proverbs, chapter 30, verses 7 through 10, he says this. He says, Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. You see, he gets it. The writer of Proverbs understands, King Solomon understands what it is to really have a focal point or center point on Christ because he, he provides my needs and maybe not my wants because maybe my wants aren't really good for me. See, if I get too much, I may then rest and depend upon my resources. I might depend on what I have, what I've gained, what I've earned, my blessing, and all of a sudden my life is, is, is twisted now. I've, my center point is skewed now. I'm not on the cross anymore. I'm now on my other part of life, the thing that sustains me with my finances, what I see. And that's what the writer's talking about in Proverbs. He says, don't give me too much because I may then get too much on myself. But at the same time, he says, but... Give me only my daily bread, but please give me the bread. <laughs> please give me my, meet my needs. Don't let me go desolate. Don't let me be destitute, because otherwise I may steal from somebody. <laughs> you know, I, so find that balance. Find that center point where, where Christ is right where he's supposed to be. 
And when we realize that that's really the growth process to being Christ-like, that's, that's really what it is. It's not being rich. It's not in how much I have or how little I have. Believe me, the poorer you are does not make you more spiritual. You don't have to be poor to be spiritual. The difference is what we're tested in, what we're measured in, is what am I doing with what I have? If I'm Howard Hughes or if I'm the richest man in the world, that doesn't make me spiritual and it doesn't make me unspiritual. Now, the Bible says that a rich man to get into heaven is a hard thing, but it doesn't make, it's not impossible. But at the same time, giving everything away doesn't make me spiritual either. Here's the point. What do you have and what are you doing with what you have? It's how much I have and what am I doing with it? Am I using it for the glory of God? Am I really doing that? Christ was, an, it was a perfect example for us. Now, there's going to come difficulties. There, there are going to come things that are going to come from the outside. You're going to have people that are going to bring false accusations against you. Being a disciple like Christ, remember now, we're still talking about being Christ-like. We see what Christ, how Christ handled that. Turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. We see this. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, living, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. So Jesus did nothing wrong. He committed no sin. There was no reason why anybody should attack him. Yet, verse 23 says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's a big, that's a big road to follow right there. We, in our natural flesh, boy, when people come against us, we talked about in Sunday school class today, when people come against us, it is our natural reaction to strike back. Especially when we're right. Especially when we haven't done anything wrong, at least in our opinion, we haven't done anything wrong. It is so easy and it's so gratifying, I'll be honest with you, it's gratifying sometimes to strike back, isn't it? But that's not what Jesus did. If any man had rights to strike back, it was Christ. If anybody had the right to strike back at those that were calling him uh, a liar, calling him a heretic, calling him whatever they accused him of, all the false accusations, if anybody was qualified to strike back, it was Christ. But we see his example was he did not. If we're going to be Christ-like, then we also have to stop our desires from striking back. And what he did, how, he, how Jesus did this, is that he left that up to him, which is God, who judges justly. And that's what we need to do. God is our judge. God is going to take care of us. And God is going to take those who are against us. It's not up to us to do that. The Bible says, let vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Let him handle it. Let's be Christ-like. And let's learn what it is to not be motivated by our own frustrations and our own lack of trust. It's also not in our talents. It's not how good I am at something. It's not how good you are at something. It's not how talented you are or untalented as you are. What are you doing with your talents? What are you doing with your gifts? You are gifted, by the way. You need to know that. You are gifted. You have a spiritual gift. You have, you have gifts. God made you just the way you are purposely, like we read at the beginning of the service today. He created you just the way you are on purpose. 
Why? Because he's got a purpose for you to, you to use in the kingdom. And he wants you to use that. That's how you become like Christ, is you use the gifts that God has given. Number two, another purpose, or the second purpose of growing, of being a disciple, is to grow and learn about the Father. If we look at Jesus' life, that was his whole mission on earth, to show people who God was. That's why he came to show men his Father. Because he was proud of his Father. Because he loved his Father. Because his Father had blessing upon blessing. Because his Father was love. And Jesus was, was so proud of his Father. And so he modeled for us in every aspect of his life. He did everything to honor and to glorify God, his Father. If we're going to be a disciple of Christ, we then also have to understand that we need to honor and lead others to God through Jesus. Jesus did this through prayer, diligent prayer. We're we're told many times in Scripture where Jesus would go and pray. He'd, He'd remove himself and go up to the mountain and pray, and he would pray all night. And he would spend all night in prayer with God. And, and here's another thing that kind of befuddles me. If there was any man that could have done it on his own, it would have been Jesus. <laughs> because he was God. I mean, he, he was man, but yet he was God. And I don't understand that. But he was. And if anybody could have done it on his own, it could have been Jesus. But yet, he showed us how important it was for him to communicate with his father. Why? As an example. If Jesus had to spend time with, with his, in prayer with his Father, then boy, I better spend time with him. I better have my prayer time. I better make sure that I have my daily devotion. I better make sure that I get myself with God on a daily basis, not just on Sunday morning where we come and we pray for 10 minutes and we go home. That's not it. That's not discipleship. That's a fan club. That's being a fan. If you're going to be a disciple... You've got to do as Jesus did. Jesus followed his father. He followed him because he knew what his father said. He knew what his father said because he prayed. He, we, we have God's word, something that they didn't have, which was God's word made flesh. It's Jesus. We have that. We have his word. We can read that. God speaks to us through his word. And we're also learned about God the Father. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, we're told about that. We're told about how we're to, to be increasing in the knowledge of God. It says, And so from the day we heard, this is Paul speaking to the Colossians, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, that we're to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Knowledge is information of God's will. And all spiritual wisdom and understanding, in other words, wisdom that comes from heaven, not earthly wisdom, heavenly wisdom, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and here it is, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. We can't get God in one moment. We can't get God in the moment of salvation. That's why salvation is just one of many experiences. It is the experience that qualifies us to move to the next one, but we must, we must find out, we must spend time learning about God the Father. And, you know, our society has a bad, bad impression of God. Our society has a bad impression. They have the wrong impression of who God is. They look at God as being angry. They look at God as being a dictator. He's a controlling, non-loving. He's ready to punish anybody that would do wrong. 
He's boring. He wants to take all the fun out of life. That's the image that society has of God, the Father. Where did they get that image from? They get that image from who? The liar of all liars, Satan. And here's the thing. Of anybody that would know how great God is, it's Satan. I mean, he came out of heaven. He was the first created. He was, he was the most beautifully created. He was, he was the, the, the shining star of heaven. But when he got distorted viewpoints of God, see, then he took them, brought them down to us, and now he shares those distorted viewpoints with us. And now he's God's enemy because of pride that's set in Satan's heart. And now he then brings that to us and he brings that into the world. And so the world has a distorted image of who God the Father is. He's not a good father. He's a bad father. And you know, it's no, it's no, it's no coincidence that the family is under attack. It's no coincidence in our society that mothers and fathers are divorcing at such a high rate. It's no coincidence that the media makes fun of men. It's no coincidence that fathers are looked at as bubbling idiots. Look at the commercials on TV. Look at the sitcoms. Look at the way the, the, the TV and the movie industry is making out dads and fathers. They're not meant to be respected. They're meant to be laughed at. They're, they're, they're meant to be scorned. They're meant to rebel against. And isn't it really sad that when we have a situation that happens where something happens with a child, she's raped or molested or kidnapped or whatever, the first people they look at today are the parents. There's no coincidence in that. That's the devil working his scheme to make us look at fathers as bumbling idiots because that's what he wants to make us look at God the Father as, a bumbling idiot God. That's his strategy. He wants to get us off of God the benevolent Father into God the bumbling Father. But that's not who God the Father is. That's why you need to know who He is. That's why you need to read the Word. That's why you need to know that the Word says that God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in Him. God is patient. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's not an angry God. He's a patient God, and he wants all men to be saved. That's his will. He wants everyone to be saved. He's not waiting for you to screw up so he can hit you. He's patient with you. He's patient. He's wanting all men to come to him. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He's long-suffering. Psalms chapter 86, verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Long-suffering. He has our best interest at heart. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, the thief comes to destroy. The thief comes to take our joy. Right, Jackie? We talked about that in pre-service this morning with the worship team, how the, the enemy comes. He can't take our Christianity away. There's nothing that can remove me from the hand of God. No evil power, no enemy, no demon, nothing. Nobody, nothing can take my salvation unless I walk away from it. But that's 
another point. It's another sermon. Nothing can take, the devil cannot steal my salvation, but he can steal my joy. He can steal my happiness, which is, let me back it up. Joy and happiness are not the same. Let me stick with joy. Let me not confuse it. He cannot, he can steal my joy. The, the strength of the Lord is my, the joy of the Lord is my, the strength of the Lord is my, say it, Jack. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Thank you. The joy of the Lord is my strength. But the enemy can slide in and he can take it away from us. God has our best interest at heart. He, he, that he, he comes, I, I have come that they may have life, that I may have life, and I may have it to the full. Wow. I want God's fullness in life, don't you? I want to be able to live a life of no regret. I want to live a life of joy and peace and comfort and fullness. That's what God is. But then finally, and, and what's really cool about this, is that God is preparing for us a place to be with him forever. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going, and that is where God is preparing through Jesus. They're preparing a home for us. They're preparing heaven for us. So God, let me tell you right now, and we've already said it, God is not what the society has claimed God to be. That's why you need to get in and read the word of God and understand who God is. That's part of being a disciple, understanding who the Father is so that we can then lead others to him. If I can be excited about God, I can share my excitement with other people. If I'm not excited about God, then how can I share excitement? That's why we need to know him. So we need to get and understand him. And then number three, to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. To bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Now this is where it's really important that we have to understand that our purpose on this planet is more about just me. Your purpose for being here is more than just you. You're important. Yes, you are important. But if that's all you think about is what I'm going to get out of this life, we're missing the mark again. Then Christ isn't the center point of our life anymore. We're here for other people. We're here not for ourselves. We're here for our, not for our own purposes. We're here for everyone sitting in this room next to you. You're here for your neighbor. You're here for your, your employer or your employees. You're here for people. We're here. Part of discipleship is understanding that our purpose is to be a fruit bearer for Christ. If we, once we understand that, then we can begin to understand what our true purpose is. Living outside of our own selfish desires helps us take our eyes off of our own problems. And thus then we can begin to have a sense of fulfillment for what we're really here for. Let's go back to Colossians that we read in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. So, we as, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit in every good work is key. Hear me. This is very important. Hear me on this one. Bearing fruit is not a salvation based on works. Rather, it's a salvation that expresses itself in works. My salvation is not based upon what I do, but my salvation is expressed by what I do. You see that? You see how when I'm saved, when I truly have that excitement for Christ, then my work wants to be fruit bearers for Christ. 
The more that I can appreciate the freedom that I have in Christ, the more I want to share that freedom with other people. The more that I understand that I have a destination in heaven, the more I want to show other people the destination in heaven. The fruit bearing is really the most important part of why we're here. It's the most important part of discipleship. Once I understand who Jesus is and I'm an imitator of Christ, and then once I understand who my Father is and I have knowledge of, of my Father, and then all of that comes together now that I can share that with my brothers and sisters. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 is the great commission that we've been told. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Christ sent his disciples. Christ is sending us to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. That's it. That's the reason that you and I are here this morning is to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Let me give you a little word picture. Larry, could you throw up that JPEG or that picture? This is a good understanding, a good description of what I believe a Christian's life should be about. Our, our motto or our church mission statement is to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance. But when I take a look at this cross, I see some things here that are very important. First of all, the cross stands out, right? The brown cross, what does that mean? It's, the cross is, is the sacrifice of Jesus. This, the cross is what Christ did in the cross for me, and it's a sacrifice, and it's the penalty of my sin. And then I have that round circle with the dark you know, the defined circle on the outside. That, that really is my life. That's my life laid on top of the cross. Because as I make Christ, as I accept Jesus in my heart, my life then is laid on top of the cross, and the cross then takes care of my sin through the, through the penalty of Christ. The red star is Jesus. Jesus is the center point then of the cross, center point of my life. The yellow infilling of the circle is the Holy Spirit. Because now, through my life, the whole, the Jesus, Jesus came to die on the cross for me, but he also came to be, when he, when he went away, he said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send another comforter to come. And when that comforter comes, I'm going to be the baptizer of you. I am going to baptize you in the fullness of the Holy Spirit as a second experience of salvation. When you become saved, the Holy Spirit takes residence in your life because you otherwise you couldn't come to God. The Holy Spirit draws all men, and unless the Holy Spirit draws a man, he cannot come to Christ. So the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit lives in a man. But then there's a second experience after that called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as an Assemblies of God Pentecostal Church, we believe in that. We believe in that second experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that is evidence through speaking in tongues. But having that circle filled in shaded yellow is indicating that the Holy Spirit then fills our life. And it, it, we are then full of the Holy Spirit. If you look at the arms of the cross, you see the vertical arm. It's not square anymore, is it? It's pointed. And the reason that it's pointed is this. Because as I have all of that centered on the cross, as I have my life centered on the cross with Jesus at the center of my life, with my life full of the Holy Spirit now, what that does is that creates a path to God. And that's a directional arrow that, tends, that, that takes me up to God, my Father. And as long as I have my life in order and I have no 
uh, complications or compromises or, or anything in that would distract that. I have a pure and I have a perfect relationship with God the Father through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, and especially with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When I speak in my heavenly prayer language, I have a direct connection to the Father. My heavenly prayer language gives me that direct connection. So now, as long as I keep that straight and I have that directional arrow going straight upward, now look at the horizontal members. They're also arrowed and pointed because now this is where we're fruit bearers. Because now as I have my relationship centered and I'm perfectly set on this thing and I've got my relationship with God right, now I have my relationship with people right. And now if you look on your notes, you see I put three of those together. And I have three of those together because I'm the one in the middle and I have a brother on the right, a brother on my left. And because I have that relationship vertical, I have my relationship horizontal, now I, fr I bear fruit. And now I can go into the world and I can be a fruit bearer for Christ because, I have, because I'm, a, I'm a disciple now. Because now I've picked up my cross. That's my cross. And I'm going to bear my cross. Now, bearing a cross is not always painful. Bearing a cross is not always what we're talking about, about we have to you know, die on the cross. That's not it. It's, it's just being who I am. It's being faithful. It's being daily choices, daily committed to serving Jesus. That's bearing my cross. And when I bear my cross, then I can be a fruit bearer for Jesus. And then I can bring others to Christ, and I can do the things that I'm needed to do. So let me ask you, as we close the service today, what's the point I want you to take home? The point is this. The beneficiary of being the fruit bearer is that God has a reward in store for those that bear fruit. As you are a fruit bearer, as you are a disciple for Jesus, the benefit, as we said at the very beginning, why, what's, why is it worth it? It's worth it because as I do my life, if I live my life godly, and if I put Christ at the center of my life, and I be the fruit bearer of my life, I'm the beneficiary of God's blessing, not just in this life, but forever and ever and ever. It is worth it. It is worth it to be a disciple. It is worth it to bear the cross. It is worth it. Let me read it, what Jesus said about it. Jesus says this in Matthew 25. This is in the, in the message translation. Do you want to know what disciples do? This is what Jesus said disciples do and why they do it. He says, when he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him and he will sort the people out much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you who are blessed by my Father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. Why I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. That sounds like being a disciple to me. Doesn't it sound like being a disciple to you? Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats, the one on his left, and say, Get out, worthless goats. <laughs> You're good for nothing. 
but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry, and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was homeless, and you gave me no bed. I was shivering, and you gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison, and you never visited. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help? And he will answer them, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you failed to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Then those goats will be herded to their eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. The fruit bearer, the sheep, to their eternal reward. So let me ask you this morning, as I'm asking myself, am I being a disciple of Christ or am I being a fan? Folks, there is a, there is a great work to, to, to do in our community. There is a great work to do to fill this church. There's a great work to do for your neighbor. Let me ask you, does your neighbor know you're a Christian? And some would say, well, who's my neighbor? <laughs> it's not just the one next to you in your street or your subdivision. It's your, the people you work with. Do they know you're a Christian? Are you ashamed of Jesus? Can you be bold for Jesus? Discipleship is so important that we follow in this. It, it, folks, don't, don't risk being a fan. Don't risk being a fan on that day. Don't risk being a goat. Be a sheep. Be a follower. So as we bow our heads and close our eyes, and I just want to give you that challenge this morning. And I want to challenge you today specifically between today and next week. Find somebody. Find somebody that you can share the gospel with in any way you can. I'm not saying be weird. I'm not saying put a placard on and says that the world is ending and, and walk downtown and be a weirdo. I'm not talking that. I'm talking about being a disciple of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus are attractive people. There are people that want to be with you. Jesus, people wanted to be with Jesus, even though he gave them great challenges. So this morning, as you go to your homes today, and you live your life this week, can you live like Christ lived? Can I live like Christ lived? Father, I'd come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for your challenges. I thank you for your direction in our lives. I thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you were willing to send your son to die for us and that, Jesus, you were willing to take up that penalty and die on that cross, pay my sin, pay that penalty of my sin. So, Lord, now as I take up my cross and as I do the things that I must do, I pray, Lord, that I would be effective. I would be a fruit bearer for you. I would be a true disciple for you. I would be a follower of you. Give me opportunities this week, Lord, as I pray for everyone in this building right now, that you would give us opportunities. Put us in front of people. Lord, I pray that you would prepare the heart of people, that you would prepare the soil of people's hearts right now as we speak, that as we run into them, it's a purposeful meeting, Lord, that you've orchestrated it. You've prepared the heart. Give us the words to say. Give us the courage to say them. Give us the courage to live them. 
I pray this in Jesus' name.